Hello, PES fans, and welcome to another episode of the EVA Web Interviews. So, PES 2020 has been out for a week now. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying it so far. But I have seen lots of YouTubers uploading their Master League series, where they start out at Man United, Juventus, Barcelona. Don't these guys know what the Master League is really about? Starting in a second division, struggling to put points on the board, and finally running round the living room in celebration when you manage to beat that team you gave yourself no chance against. Kids today, eh? Be sure to let us know how you're finding it by leaving a message at anchor.fm forward slash evo dash web. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash evo dash web. And we may feature your message in the next episode. There's only two more left after this one, though, so be quick. This week, there have been a couple of big developments to speak of. Firstly, Man City got beat by Norwich, and it was absolutely hilarious. But secondly, the PES development team have now got their own Facebook account so that we can communicate with the developers directly. They've already set up a couple of threads dedicated to bug reports and suggestions, and with so many players reporting that they preferred the stricter referees and less lock-on defenders of the demo... We can only hope that they're really listening and that we'll have a nice little gameplay patch that brings back some of those lovely dribbling opportunities that were more prevalent before the full game's day one patch hit. But speaking of the full game, as always, I've got to tell you that this week's interview was recorded before the release of PES 2020 or even the demo, and that all discussion here on in is based on trailers and announced features at the time of recording. So... Let's get on with introducing this week's guest. He is a retro PES player who's a regular on our forums, but on others too. He's a YouTuber as well, and if you love the older games, please be sure to check out his YouTube channel where you can find entire World Cups and Champions Leagues played out on classic PES titles. His YouTube channel is called Marlon Anthony, and that's Anthony spelt with a H. I'm Chris Davis, and... This is Mafia Murderbag. The very first PES that I played was Pro Evolution Soccer on the PS2. And when I first played it, I wasn't even a football fan. Basically, my older brother got me into football, um, kind of made me play with him. And because when you're a kid, you just want to play anything for the sake of playing it, you grin and bear it. And basically, being a kid, you're a sponge. And it's easy to learn about new things in the world. And I learned about football through playing Pro Evolution Soccer. Never watched a game in my life on TV because I hated it, but... I enjoy playing the game. Um, so I think that says a lot. You know, if a football game can actually turn someone into a football fan, then yeah, that would mean it. I learned a lot about the players, got interested in the series, became a football fan, started supporting a team, started buying pro evolution soccer from then on. And I think a lot of us probably learned more about world football through pro evolution soccer. And I was one of those. I was never a European football fan until, I was going to say recently, but I'm talking, I'm 34 now, and I think I was in my late 20s when I really started to get into uh, football outside of the UK. But everything that I knew was from games like uh, Pro Evo. It was because of the level of detail in the older games and the kind of the recreation of, of those player styles and of team styles as well it really did give you a a pretty true-to-life understanding of, well, this team is slightly more defensive, plays the long balls, plays on the counter, or this team is a lot more kind of possession-based than they... Because it was... When I was first into Pro Evo, the teams that were the the best in Europe were teams that just held on to the ball and waited for the the right uh, chance to to come up before committing to the the pass. And you learnt these styles 
through playing the game. And in fact, some of the reviews at the time I remember used to speak about the way that you learn the most about how to play this game is to set teams to play against each other. And you will learn the patterns of play, how to think more like a footballer in terms of you can't play it like FIFA where you're just spamming the pass button forward. You have to really look at the space on the pitch and think about what you're doing. So yeah, that kind of real world element to it was, was huge back then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things, like you just mentioned, um, that I loved about those older games is that it was contextual. Um, players wouldn't just sort of like blindly backheel, especially when you watch the AI play. I never understood how you did it. And I always had this theory and I think I grew out of it, but I always had a theory that the players were playing in first person, like they would only pass to who was ever who was ever in their vision. Like mm. very rarely saw players sort of like blindly pass, like you probably would see nowadays on the modern games. It was really quite fascinating to watch. It was it was really strange, especially if you watch those computer versus computer matches. Um, it's hard to explain, but if you watch them, you would see that they were literally passing to what they could see. It wouldn't just sort of like go, I know this player is here because I am a game, and it would do this kind of magic, you know. Zidane's kind of <laughs> no-looking pass, yeah. Um, it was fascinating, but yeah, again, something that I criticised like the modern games for was that it just felt like it was it disrespected what was physically possible. You could have you back um, to your striker and you hold down circle to clear it, and they sort of like do this 180 turn and kick, and it's like the perfect amount of power, and it goes like all the way up the field, lands right in your striker's lap, and it's like if you try doing that in the older games, and it goes out of play, you know, or they scuff it, or there's just not enough power in it because. Most of us who played the football games, and with any of us who are football fans, we played football in real life at some point. And we know how difficult that is to sort of like turn around and clear a pass 180 degrees. You know, you don't always get the same amount of power in it that you would if, you know, you was facing the direction that you wanted to kick the ball. And again, these games, like, they respected that and they captured that perfectly or captured it accurately. And I think when you're playing a game like that, if you are, if you have any kind of knowledge of the real world sport, then... For me, that's where it falls apart. When something like that happens, you're taken completely out of the illusion. And I feel, exactly. I feel like something's changed, though, because as you say, it is the case that that happens in the games now where a clearance can be a 180-degree turn that lands perfectly uh, you know, for the striker to go and slot a goal away. So what's, what's changed in terms of we would spot that, I think, that 10 years ago and more, we would play a game like that and go, well, that's not how it is. But now it's almost, well, it is accepted. So what's changed? It's one of those things that takes the strategic element out of a football match, well, a, a football game, is that strategic element that, you know, you're, a def- say you're a defender and you're under pressure from a striker and you're like, oh, man, I need to get rid of this ball. What do I do? And you literally have to make a strategic choice. Do you risk passing it back to your keeper? Do you forfeit possession and kick it out of play? Do you have enough faith in the defender to, you know, um, outskill the striker? So there's all these things you have to think about. Whereas that kind of challenge, that mental arithmetic is gone now from the modern games. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I know I can just like, you know, hold. Um, I can face uh, my goal and just hold down circle. And I can guarantee that it's going up the field. doesn't go out of play. There's no risk of losing possession. There's no real risk element at all. And a lot of that is with this kind of, instant gratification kind of culture where people just want like to play this easy game um they want to have fun they want to spray balls they come home from work after getting their ass kicked um, by the boss all week and they don't want to really think too much and the skill gap's gone one of the analogy the analogies i use is um how in street fighter street fighter used to be a game that had a massive learning curve and you had to put in a lot of hours if you wanted to master all these combos um understand the mechanics of the game the timing of different fighters 
And if he was good enough, then you would eventually earn the reputation to go to these tournaments, um, you know, back before the internet. And you would compete in these fighting game tournaments. It was like the best Street Fighter players in the world. And there was a famous um, clip that went viral, which was like the Daegu Parry, where like somebody was Chun-Li, I think, and they had like a pixel of health left. And they performed this like unbelievable out-of-this-world comeback that like wasn't even an actual combo in the game. It was just like a combination. It was an amalgamation of like his skill and his knowledge with the game. And that's what made it so breathtaking. It was it was purely real. That was literally his skill and his understanding of the game. And it became so famous that eventually over the years, Capcom put that in the game as an actual combo. Because the guy who'd done it, his name was Daegu, I think. But they named like an actual combo after him in the game. And it's almost like you can do it with like the touch of a button. You know, so it's not actually any skill in doing it. It's just like you build up a special and you kind of hit L1 and maybe X or something and it does the debut parry. And it's so contrived and it's so like commercialized. Something that was like a real thing was turning into this novelty thing in the game. And like I said, the skill gap in games is just gone now. You know, those days of like mastering something and earning that right to be like, yeah, I'm the best PES player or I'm the best Street Fighter player. They're kind of gone now. And it's just, they want everybody to feel inclusive. They want everybody to feel like that could be me. Because I think with game developers now is that they understand that they're competing with everyone. And I think Konami understand that they're not just competing with FIFA now. They're competing with Fortnite and they're competing with Call of Duty, um, Apex Legends, Warframe, whatever. They're competing with all these online games that are trying to get gamers hooked the same way that we mentioned earlier on in the program. You know, they have to create these games to be addictive and to hook them. And I think that if a player picks up PES for the first time they go oh I've played FIFA all these years um let's try PES because you know I'm bored and if they play and they go oh what the hell man this is like Dark Souls man I ain't got the time to learn this going back to FIFA then Konami kind of lose that potential revenue from that one person but if you think about that one person being like a massive demographic of people then they lose out on those revenue and I think that they understand that yeah it's like the fast food of gaming now people want it instant they want it like right now and they'll come back because it's quick and it's easy and it's addictive. A lot of it is to do with the skill gap going because they know that they might deter players if they go, come on, you have to respect this game, you have to learn it. I guess that there's a, as you say, gaming has changed and that is one of the pitfalls of creating a game based on one of the most popular sports in the world or anything that's that's incredibly popular. If it, it has that popularity to be interesting to everyone then you want everyone who's interested in that thing to play your game of it your version of it in which case it needs to be accessible to everyone but then you lose the core of the thing that you're trying to recreate and i wonder i think it was uh lamy on evo web who said before now that he doesn't quite he doesn't see why there aren't companies out there going okay there's a demographic of people like you and i who are looking for that simulation-based experience, who aren't being served by anything. And I, again, I think it was he who said, we don't know, and games companies don't know, how big that demographic is, really, because nothing's ever really been aimed at us for the last 10 years. It's all been this online-focused stuff. So maybe if they did go more down the simulation route or someone came along and created a, a simulation game, you would, of course... Um, put off those guys who are that kind of online player who just want to get on, score five goals with Ronaldo, open a pack of cards and get the best players in the world and then log off again. But maybe there is another side to that where 
there is a market out there that hasn't been it's been untapped for a while that would go yet yeah, this feels more like when i go and play sunday league because i think there's more people who actually play football now than there were 10 years ago in my experience anyway i see more people going and playing uh you know five aside with their friends and uh sunday leagues than than there were back then and that for me suggests that there is a deeper knowledge and, and you see it in punditry all the time there is a deeper thirst and a deeper knowledge for real analysis of football and if that's the case then there is a market there for something that, that's more serious don't you think or do you think i'm being far too um optimistic here and it is just a, an online <laughs> fast food culture now no i totally agree i think it's two things i mean first of all yes if a third developer was to come along and develop a football game you need to carve out that niche because there's two step there's two games with equity now and they're established in the online market so why would you want to compete especially as a new game you know nobody's going to very few people are going to give you the benefit of the doubt so why not just do an alternative um there's very few there's fewer football games than ever now unfortunately um I discovered a game a couple of weeks ago called Legendary Eleven. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. Tell me more. It's on Steam, um, and I think it might be on console, but I don't think I've seen it. I think I've only seen it on Steam. And it's an indie game, and it's the niche of it is that not only is it an arcade game, it's really, really arcadey. It's like Mario Strikers, but um, it's a throwback game. It's based upon like retro football, like from the seventies and eighties. You know, the players are modelled on old school footballers but i don't think they're real players though i think it's got that kind of sensible soccer or um iss on the snes kind of feel where it's like fake players but based on real players but um it's got a nice aspect it's got that retro aspect going on but it's really arcadey and it's mario strikers so obviously they must have had a small dev team and they've said to themselves like look you know we can't compete with online we can't really convince people to spend money on our game let's just make something completely different you know, I mean, Pets and FIFA are half realistic. So they thought, why not go in the opposite direction and make something really arcadey? You know, there's no pure football this year. There's no FIFA Street yet. So they thought, well, let's try that. Um, and obviously there's another one. Um, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I think it's Pixel Soccer. I think that's what it's called. And it's literally, you know, a throwback to those SNES games with, you know, um, 16-bit graphics. Um I really can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But again, it's another one. Why not carve out a niche rather than trying to replicate what already exists and what already has equity? But then I think the other issue is with developers and budget. And again, making the games expensive. Like you can't make it for free unless you want it to make it good. You know, good games are free and free games aren't good. So I think the other thing is with developers, they understand that you've got to have a budget from somewhere and it's like offsetting, you know, the, the gamble of like, well, can we make money back on this? And people go, well, again, there's two established football games in the market. Why would I want to gamble on that when I can make something that's never been made before? You know, when I can make a No Man's Sky or I can make, I mean, I don't know, I can't think of another unique game off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> make a Fortnite or make a Minecraft or something. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's my opinion. I think it's make a niche and secondly, it's the budget that people who want to make a game, they have to decide, is it worth that gamble? So talking about those classic Pro Evos then, the, you said that Pro Evolution on the PS2 was your first, which is of all of, because this is actually a unique situation in that I know that you play a lot of the, the older games and obviously you have, um, you've had series uploaded onto YouTube. So you've, you've got experience of these older games and you play them quite often. Um, which is the one that you think you've spent the most time on 
overall or the most time on back in the day? Definitely the one that I literally lived with was PES 5. Um, PES 4 to 6 were like my golden era when I was growing up with PES. And just because, you know, you're 14, 15 years old, you've got all the time in the world and I literally lived on them games. So I have fond memories of them. They're literally part of my life. They have sentimental value. And um, over the past year, I went back to them for the first time and it really was um, not only a nostalgia trip, but yeah, it was quite enlightening. But um, the thing is, like, if you were to ask me which one of those old games was my favourite, it's like asking me to pick which one of my, you know, eight kids I love the most. You know, they all have something unique about them. They all have a personality. And that was um, something that we brought up a lot on the retro forums was how these PES games, it's not like each one got better than the last. It's, it's weird. It's almost like they have um, a particular theme or a particular identity um, with each of those games. Um PS4 was probably more arcadey than PS5. PS5 is more realistic than PS6. And winning 11-9 is like um, this hybrid of both. And then you went on to like the next-gen ones, which was like PS8 and 9, and they were just like nice HD versions of the PS2 ones, but they they lacked something, but they also gained something else somewhere in another area. So that was what was really fascinating. And um, one of the things that I think a lot of us kind of realised was that in this day and age... People play like the latest football game and they go, you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. People will only play the latest game because it's like the trend and it's like that's contemporary, you know. We don't play FIFA 17 anymore or FIFA 16 anymore. We play 19. And then when PES 19 and FIFA 19 comes out, you'll get like some of those people who are like, oh, well, both games are rubbish this year. Oh, well, there's nothing else to play now. And it's like, what do you mean there's nothing else to play? It's like you've got 19 years worth of football games in the archive now that you can go back to and not only from a revisionist standpoint, but you can still have fun with them. If you give them a chance, you don't compare them with like modern games and you don't put them under the pressure of like, well, it doesn't look like a PS4 game. That's a no for me. If you don't put them under that kind of pressure, you just take them for what they are. Well, treat them like indie games, if anything. Understand that they're going to be limited and give them a chance. So which Pro Evo is it, do you think, that changed for you? So you're saying that each of these Pro Evos has its own identity and its own focus, if you like. At what point do you think you just stopped seeing that identity and that it all started to become a bit samey, if that's fair to say? Yeah, it's really difficult because I think there's probably two points. I think when they went to the 360 with the PES 6 port and PES 2008, I think that was probably the start of like the downfall because I feel like they rushed the game out to, um, under pressure from Microsoft to kind of get something out quite quickly. And... They was never able to kind of develop the same kind of magic. I think they didn't understand the tech either, which is why it felt like a limited game, whereas FIFA, with EA, they took that risk with FIFA 07 and put it on a new engine, understood that the first year probably wasn't going to be the best football game ever, but it was a start. And I think that Konami had difficulty adapting to modernising the game. And then I think the second point when um, the series lost its identity was probably around PES 15. And you know that I'd say PES 15 and not 14. And... Obviously, I've got a bit of stock for 14 because it's the first one on the Fox engine, but I believe that was the last time that Konami, out of a labour of love, were willing to make a realistic football game where they placed serious um, emphasis on you know, inertia and physics and balance of the players, a mass engine, um, a combination of all these things. I think that was the last time that they really wanted to do football a service in a video game. And then after that, the game was, again, the game was rushed out. They should have waited another year to do a Fox Engine game. It was poorly received by um, 
the consumers because the console ports were bad and the performance wasn't very good. They were stripped back in features. A lot of faces were missing. And I think just under pressure from the fans and maybe corporate, they were like, we need to make an accessible football game. We need to win people back. And that's probably where like the the, the speed drug aspect of like PES came in with 15. It was just a massive departure from 14, I think. And I think that's when you started to, that's when the divide began, I think. Um, yeah, to go back to your original question, I think when you first went onto the 360, that PS2 magic was lost and they can never recapture that until maybe um, PES 11 and 13, well, PES 11 to 13, when they finally kind of modernised the game, gave you a little bit more um, freedom with the passing and the moving and the dribbling and stuff like that. But then that presented a whole other set of problems, which we could talk about later maybe. Um, and then, yeah, PES 15 onwards when just the the culture of the game changed. PES 2014 comes up every year, I think. There are a few guarantees every year when a new PES is around the corner. Uh, one of them is that someone will post that betting rendered video that looks <laughs> like a, a real football match yeah. um, and claim that it's the latest pro Evo, you know, it's a preview footage or whatever. And the other one is that someone will mention 2014 and say that was the game that had the most potential of the, of the modern games in that they were, it seemed to be a real step forward in terms of the, the technology that was all so much into, into it in terms of depth. The only thing that was, wasn't there was the responsiveness, and it felt like gamers couldn't handle that. Uh, it, I mean, it was, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it was a good thing and a realistic thing. The uh, responsiveness issues were very, very real, but it was the fact that we didn't seem willing, as a, as a gaming community, not as EvoWeb, but gamers as a whole, didn't seem willing to accept this downside to it and the feedback was so uproarious that i think it kind of changed how konami would view creating pro evo forever and maybe it all plays into this this modern era that that we're in maybe that's where it started this idea of you have to make something that is accessible so that someone doesn't play the game tries a shot with some player who's not very good in a striker's position and then just gives up because they don't understand that they're trying to do the wrong thing with the wrong player and they'll never look into it. So they just never come back to your game again. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's always just been like this this change in like the philosophy between game developers now because like I said, with the PS2 versions and with PS14, they were almost like labors of love from developers. You know, you probably felt like they actually enjoyed making those games and they're able to kind of go, you know, we love football so much, we want to replicate it and we want to pay tribute to the sport that we love. And then it became just a job. And it was like, the, what do people want? It's almost like, do, it's, it's just so focus tested now. It's almost like, you know, what new flavor of Coke do people want? Oh, well, they want bacon flavor. Well, if people want bacon flavor, we give them it. It's supply and demand. And I think that's just, with the internet now, and like the more power has been given to the average voice on Twitter and stuff like that now, it's like so many companies just so scared of like um, negative feedback. They, they literally fear it. And it's like, we can't afford negative feedback. And... Like I said, when you have those people that go to these things, they play test the game and they put in the thing up on PA3 and they go, this is how we want to play the game. Make it more like this for everybody. And, you know, there's almost like this submissiveness from developers who are like, well, that's what you want. That's what we'll do. You know, they represent the entire, um, they represent our demographic, I guess. And they do it. There's no kind of pushing back from the developer anymore. But at the same time, that has a massive effect on like the consensus of your game you know like the the popular opinion of your game rides on 
what a few voices say on Twitter, but those few voices are actually like, you know, millions of people. Social media is quite damaging in that aspect. It's great because it means that we can communicate with everybody in the world now more than ever. But at the same time, there's this massive sense of entitlement now. And sometimes it's justified and sometimes it isn't. When it's justified is like with PES 16 when the game came out on launch with like outdated squads. You know, that was embarrassing and that was unacceptable. And that was almost damaging to the game. And that's when Konami kind of... They did the right thing because they had no choice but to make the UF, the um, UEFA DLC, the Euro 2016 DLC free. They had no choice. And <laughs> if anybody paid for that, like with, you know, one stadium and lots of kids missing, then that would always be another you know, outrage, you know. But um, straying off, but yeah, I'm going back to my original point. I think now it's just the power is taken away from developers now. Now it's just supply and demand. They've got to make the game that people want to see. We're just all dropping the ocean, I think. You know, those of us that want, like, the grounded, more realistic experience and we want the offline stuff, I just think we're dropping the ocean. I don't think we're old-timers or, like, you know, back in my day, we used tapes. I don't think it's that bad, but I just think the world's just changed, man. It's like... Another example is um, GTA V. I mean, the game was a massive hit, you know. It's like the world stopped when this game comes out and people are excited about the prospect of offline DLC. The consoles are capable of it now. We never got... Um, offline DLC for San Andreas, did we? But we got it for GTA 4. We all loved it. It was wow, that's great. You know, more content. We're getting like free games like on one, en- one engine, and we were looking forward to that for GTA 5. And then Rockstar went, well, the money talks. You know, the market is always right. People are actually spending more time in this online mode, and they're paying more money for this online mode. Like, why would we spend time and effort and labor making an offline mode, even though it's like the guys. The people who make this game, the grandkids are rich now probably because of how much money GTA 5 makes. But do they want to make offline DLC because they love storytelling and they want to tell another story? Or are they going, well, whatever, you know, give them neon cars and give them, you know, flying boats and whatever and futuristic guns in the on, in, a, in a GTA game online. Just do that. That's what they'll pay for. And it speaks for itself. I just think, yeah, we keep going back to our point, but it's just the world's just completely changed, man, in terms of like what people expect from games. It's odd you were talking then about how the older games are made by a group of people who seem to have a real love for the game and a kind of a desire to to recreate it more than uh, the, than there is now. Development now is is more about that supply and demand culture. I was just thinking, and this hasn't occurred to me before, but when you see the intros for those original Pro Evos, when you see the video, the FMVs that they used to have at the start, there was so much passion in those videos. And I, I know we all watched them and thought the same thing. Oh, I hope that's what football games look like in 10 years' time <laughs> or, you know, 20 years' time. Um, but they had so much passion in those videos that, I mean, I watched the uh, the we Will, we Will Rock You video intro from one of the games uh, where there's a few recreated goals in that intro yeah. and i think that that was a theme with uh, a lot of the intros that they did recreating real world goals and hiding the face of the person so that you couldn't tell that they were unlicensed yeah it was like a konami easter egg really wasn't it yeah but there was so much passion in those videos for that real world football <laughs> and when i think of the intros for the last few games it's just here's the stadium that we've included you know here's the new camp from a helicopter angle here's the tunnels that we've put in here's some gameplay on the pitch some video of, of gameplay that, that's close up where you can see how uh laser guided all the passing is now and it's less about 
here's the sport that we love and here's some, yeah, this is what it means to us. And more just, here's the product that we're selling. Almost like they're yeah. trying to sell their own product in the intro to their own product. I know. And that's just, <laughs> that just makes you realize that, as you say, that, that there's no, it feels to me anyway, maybe it's unfair, but it feels to me that there's no passion like there used to be in the development of it now. And it is just this, this is what they want, get it out there culture, which is such a shame. Yeah, I think he's now in the head is they advertise on the product. There's no sincerity in any of it anymore. Um, I mean, those opening movies, most of the time, they're just recycled from um, E3 trailers or Gamescom trailers. Um, That's a good point, actually. I haven't thought of that. Yeah, most of the time, it's just the same content you saw, you know, six months earlier. <laughs> um, and they're going, well, nobody watches these anymore anyway. Whereas back then, yeah, you were kind of looking for That was like the appeal of buying a new game. You bought a game, you got a new box art, you got a manual you read on a bus on the way home, you put it in, you couldn't wait to see what a new Konami um, branding would look like. You couldn't wait to see that intro movie and those menus, the sounds, the sights and sounds of the games. And now it's all pop songs that, like, man, I hear this enough at work on the radio you know, 10 times over, and now I've got to go home and hear it in my game. Who are we making these games for now? You know, they're not these cultural melting pots like they used to be with, like, you know, the, the Japanese funk music and stuff like that they used to have, which is, like, a part of your memory of these old games. It's not just the actual game itself. It was, like, the experience of going through those menus, being in the Master League menu. You, they had different feels to them. And, yeah, now it's just this, you know, it's this commercial regurgitation in the game. And, yeah, like you said, they're selling products. Like, look at these new gimmicks we put in. We put in that new camp stadium that, you know, we apparently scanned, you know, and that's like another thing as well. It's like the stadiums, but we can get onto that at another point. But yeah, um, it's, it's interesting you're talking there about having all of the the music that the games used to have that were bespoke for the uh, Pro Evos. I don't know if you've played Gran Turismo Sport. Um, I hadn't played that until recently. And while I was doing the, there's like a license test bit that you have to do and it's, every test that you're doing lasts for about 20 seconds and the music plays it's a bit daft the way that the music plays and then as soon as you're done it changes to a different track so every you're getting 20 seconds of a song at a time but my point is the library of music that they have in the game is the music from the last four or five gran turismos so you're sitting down playing the most the latest version of a game listening to the soundtrack from all of the games that you've played from being a kid to now all of the Gran Turismo music that you heard through that time and it's it pulls you into the experience and plays with those really plays with your emotions and brings you back to why you played these games in the first place and it is it's it's a really nice trip down memory lane when you're just it adds something else if it was just modern pop songs as you say it would be something else I always find it strange that Spotify isn't more integral to to things now there was um a game by the burnout team that was released recently oh, i'm trying to think of the name of it and i can't remember but a a racing game that is essentially burnout but a, a version that they never got to make because ea dismantled that criterion team is what they were called yeah and they said look we can't afford to license music in this game um it's more money and we want to put that money into development so yeah we're just going to link up to your Spotify account and whatever music you play on Spotify, you hear in the game and it will integrate with, you know, if you crash, then we might turn it down or pause it or whatever. And it all, it all integrates really nicely. And I always think, who are you, you know, with these kind of Radio 1 pop songs that you'll hear on the radio? For guys like us, we'd love to hear the old music. And for guys who are younger than us and who wouldn't know what that music is and would just think, 
what is this strange kind of 80s jazz house I that's know. playing. Um, if you could just integrate it into your Spotify, then at least it would be music that you'd like to hear rather than this. It's it's you your personalised taste in music, you know. Why not? I mean, we force, we brute force, you know, um, your curated ads into your Facebook account. Like, you know, what's a little, you know, soundtrack? What's like an actual taste of your personality in your game going to hurt, you know? But um, I'm the same as you. I find it quite fascinating that developers are willing to spend this kind of money licensing songs when most of the time nobody hit nobody wants to listen to it like i said with the intros i mean it got to the point where people just skip them so that's probably why Konami just went what's the point in rendering um an actual cg movie when nobody's gonna watch it but i feel the same with music like why license it when unanimously people are just gonna get pissed off of it after like a month's worth of playing and you'd probably play it safer by just having like in-house music you know music that's like made in the actual um development studio Lots of games did it, you know, back in the PS1 and the PS2 days. And again, it's part of that game's identity. You know, it's like you can go on YouTube, you can play like, yeah, the PS5 main menu theme and you're instantly that 14 year old kid again. And you go, man, those are some good times. You know, I had um, burnt into my memory because of all the times I sat in front of my TV, you know, and the length it would play before I get into a match or the amount of times you'd hear it in the edit mode, you know, back in those days when you spent most of your time in the edit mode, you know, that, that funk jam, I hated it at the time, but now, you know, I look back on fondness and when you're more mature anyway, you understand and appreciate the actual um, musicianship that goes into that kind of song. It's kind of more ambient than, um, hey, pop chorus that you've heard um, and follows you around for the year. The thing is, Konami did that as well before they done it with um, PES 2008. It actually had like all the old PES songs in the library. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I posted a little while back on the forum. There was like this web page that I found. It's like a blog, and it was some guy who just reviews loads of games. But he's got this really um, quite humorous writing style, and he, and it's quite a fascinating read. And he literally done an entry on the PES 2008 soundtrack, and he just like. It's like his tongue-in-cheek kind of mocking of it, but it's almost like, you know, a, an endearing way. It's like, you know, the soundtrack's really bad, but at the same time, it's part of Pesty Fountain identity. But by that point, a lot of people jumped off that ship and went on the other one, you know, with licenses. But um, the songs that I get, the, again, I think they were in-house. And it was like one of the first Pez games that had lyrics in the songs, and it's just so bad, so cheesy. Cringe Kingdom, man. But again, it's they were unique like songs. Exactly. So... In terms of PES 2019, what really stands out as things you like about the game as it stands now? It's weird because it's almost like I'm contradicting myself. But yeah, I mean, mechanically, the game um, is almost like a pleasure to play because it's so smooth and responsive. But I think one of the standout things about it is its visuals, hands down, easily. But individual animations of the game, I think, are great. I just think there's something about the way that they stitch together. It just does not seem immersive. There's something about it that just does feel like puppetry or quite robotic and then not to mention obviously the entire resistance curve that the game kind of feels and has i enjoyed the game a lot more once i started playing it on manual um i gave it a chance on um pa1 and it feels like pa3 we've all um shared that sentiment but it's so eye-opening when you play pairs on manual difficult on manual passing sorry manual shooting it's the closest you're going to get to wrangling back that simulation control you have over the game, that balance of, um, you know, realism and challenge and the fact that you have to concentrate and play. But also now that you're older, you know, you don't have the friends coming around your house and you're all sitting down playing Mount Robbins. It's you against the computer or you have to forfeit the manual and play online, just get a game online. 
because few people play manually. Um, and the problem with playing manually against computers is that the computer doesn't play manually. The computer just plays the same way it does. So you always feel like you're handicapped. And that's been the issue with PES. I feel like there's no sort of replayability for me when it comes to it. You know, it's a game that has a lot of potential. It's not a shit game by any means, but it's just, there's no integrity to it, I think. So I was going to say, I'm glad that you said that the AI doesn't play on manual because that's always my first response yeah. when someone says, oh, there's there's something in there and the, only, the best way that you can play this game is to play it on manual. I see the benefit of doing so and it does add something to the experience. But when the AI is still you know, laser passing everything about you, just to look at it, just to look at the game playing out where you've got one team misplacing passes and another team never misplacing a pass I know. <laughs> um, it's just such an odd uh, an odd thing to see never mind um play it's jarring and you feel like the ai is laughing at you when you play yeah. it like that. <laughs> <laughs> it used you know in the old days um and now i really do sound old but in those kind of pes 5 pes 6 games it used to be such a challenge to win and there were moments where you thought oh ai you're being a little bit cheaty there but it was, you knew, I think, in your heart of hearts that a lot of the time it was because of a mistake that if you conceded a goal or if you conceded an opportunity, yeah. even you'd go, I know exactly why that's happened and, and why I've done that. But with the AI now, it, it just feels so much more, I say, every team has the exact same way of playing. And so when you see that same pattern over and over again, the achievement when you do win it doesn't feel like an achievement and it feels more like the game has gone yeah you're i'm gonna let you win that you're allowed to win now because you're the better team and you're supposed to score at this moment and i was saying that unless you play manual shooting there have been times where i've tried to put it to the keeper's left and the shot has gone to the keeper's right and gone in mm. and then i'm sat there thinking i have no i take no joy in that i'm not jump i'm not on the edge of my seat i'm not jumping up and down i'm not going yes i've scored because it wasn't me that scored it was a it was the computer that scored and b even when it's going in a direction that i'm you know i'm indicating it it's still it's not my it's not an achievement it's not it's not so much that I've done the right thing and put the exact right input into play and done the exact right thing with my team to score that goal. It's more like it, the game's just gone, oh, fine, you you, sh- you should score at this point, so there you go. And it's two completely different feelings in, in terms of scoring. It's so dissatisfying. People use that term, Pez Magic. I use it a lot. And you sound like <laughs> it's just this jargon that you just find out, but I think it's a real thing. You know, There was something about this old games where you felt like, damn it, I'm in the trenches here. You know, this is a battle. This is a slog. Getting even a single shot on goal felt like an accomplishment in some of those old games. And let alone scoring goal, it was like, man, that's a relief. And I think you play these games now, and it's just vapid. It's, it's almost like playing basketball in a sense. You know, it's like nobody celebrates an individual. What would you call it? When you score points in basketball, nobody goes, yeah, we got one. It's like, it's just this part and parcel of a basketball match. And I think that sometimes that's that same feeling with these modern PES games is that you're guaranteed a goal in one of these games, whether you're conceding one or whether you're scoring one. And most of the time, it's after you score, there's some kind of like weird formula going on there where you score a goal or you take a lead and instantly you concede. Or sometimes you have to concede in the last five minutes. I surely can't be anyone. I think I'm not going insane. I'm not making excuses. You know, I'm not the best PES player in the world, but I know that I'm not that bad. And there's a lot of times you just... <laughs> can see these contrived 
these contrived goals and it's not even like the PS2 level kind of scripted goals it's like literally my defenders didn't even behave like human beings and that's what takes me out of the game you know when because I'm going to go a little bit on a segue but you see a lot of these clips and stuff that are shared on Twitter at the moment of um, wow look at this individual piece of brilliance or look how good this looks and the first thing I noticed is just these defenders running away from the ball carrier like not even looking at them when they're running away they're just mildly running away because they're sprinting back to like their designated position you know that they're obligated to keep but in that time, you gave the attacker more opportunity. And it's like, by then, it's just so hard to kind of recover from musician once you wrangle that control back from the AI defender. It's too late. I just feel like, man, are people not seeing this? And I'm like, am I the only one who's insane that everybody is normal? Or is everybody just, like, happy to accept that this is the way it is? Because I felt the same way with PS16. That game had, like, the worst goalkeepers in the history of football, in my opinion, because they would never leave their goal line. And there were pitiful at actually diving low and saving those low shots and everybody was like oh well the keepers are bad and I can't figure out why and I was one of the minority who was pointing out that it's actually because they don't leave their line you know they don't close down the gap with the strikers so you literally have an open goal that happens to have a goalkeeper standing in the middle of it so yeah not only with like the shooting that you mentioned that it's not rewarding it's not very satisfying I think at the same time Defending and off the ball movement is sort of frustrating because you just feel like the players are running around like headless chickens. You have no control. And it's almost like Russian roulette where you will get your defence to kind of realistically chill and hold their line and somebody to pressure a, a ball carrier. Like I said, those are the things that break your immersion. It's like when you're playing a shooting game and, you know, the enemy isn't hiding behind cover. He's just standing there going, pew, 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 pew. And you're like, yeah, thank you, headshot. You know, and there's something about that where you just think, Nobody would do that in real life if, you know, their human life was on the line. And it's the same with defenders and pets. You just think defenders wouldn't behave like that. And if they did, they damn sure wouldn't play the following game. It's things like I break my immersion with these one games. Like I said, you know, the 180 degree um, clearance and the fancy striker, you know, or these weird cutouts in the animations where sometimes you see it where, like, somebody will be running at your goal and they're literally doing this kind of weird zigzaggy thing. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I kind of coined, like, the phrase ninja dribbling because that's what it feels like. It's like... There's no sense of, like, this player's got skill keeping the ball at his feet. It's like the ball's just glued to their feet. And then there's weird zigzaggy motion that just looks totally unnatural. You will never, ever see in a real game. And you always have this push-pull kind of argument or this battle where people are like, well, you know, what do you want? Do you want a realistic game or do you want an arcade game? You know, and they say, and I do understand that at the end of the day, it's a video game and it's never going to be 100% realistic because otherwise you just end up with like a black mirror football and it's like this VR thing where it's indistinguishable from reality and it's like I don't think football gaming should ever get like that I think games should be games to an extent but it's weird because it's like Konami what do you want to do then because obviously your visuals are highly realistic and they're almost more photorealistic than they ever have been but yet the game you know contradicts it and it's more of an arcade experience so, speaking about PES 2020, I'm going to go through with you now the 15 features mentioned uh, so far for PES 2020. And this is the stuff that has come up in trailers and has come up in the, the PR blurb. And I just want to get an idea from you for each of these features, uh, what you're excited by, what you're not so excited by, um, if you think that it's a back-of-the-box feature and it's worth mentioning, or if you think that it's just a, a standard you would expect it to move forward because it's a yearly franchise as opposed to something to to shout about. So number one on that list is improved ball physics. How excited are you for that? It's something that every game, I think both PES and FIFA claim that um, every year they got the better ball physics. So um, to me, it's neither here nor there. It's always nice to hear that you work on it, but 
it's one of those things where some of the games had better ball physics than others. That's just weird, but it's the truth. But yeah, I mean, you can't complain about better ball physics, but I think the real art is getting the ball to react to the player models realistically, unfortunately. That's something that even after 19 years of football games and, you know, five years on the Fox engine, the ball still goes through players' body parts. Players' body parts still go through other players' body parts. So I think not only is it the ball physics that need refining, it's also um, respecting the physical space of, like, the the player models on the pitch. Um, It still happens where, you know... You chest the ball with a striker, defender's head goes through your striker's chest and intercepts it, you know, and you think, how the hell did that happen? You know, why is my player sort of like, he should be getting shoved in the back or pressed in the back, but the ball's been cleared. What's gone on? Going to the replay, you know, it's the chest bursting scene from Alien in Pez, you know, <laughs> head goes for the chest. And, and again, it takes you out of the game. You go, God damn it, that shouldn't happen. That's literally not fair. So... Even though they announced ball physics, because it's something that everybody can easily relate to. You know, the, the casual guy who doesn't know anything about games, not going to be excited about, oh, um, realistic player physics. Ball physics is something they understand because it's a game about kicking the ball around the park. So I understand why they put it on the back of the box. It's a marketable thing. Um, but like I said, we've come a long way. Ball physics are great. Um, there's something about PES 9 as well. Where I feel like you've got like a lighter ball. It's I don't know if I can articulate it that well, but it's just something about it. Some games have a heavier feeling on the ball and some just have this kind of um, marble feel, like a pinball kind of feel. And I think it was 18 where like you felt like the ball was bobbling along the pitch when you would make a, a longer pass, which was great. And I think it's been toned down a little bit in 19, in my opinion. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's fair to say. You were talking then about uh, both Pez and FIFA do always brag about they've got the better ball physics. I remember at one point, I think it was FIFA, but I could be wrong, said that they were uh, modelling ball physics based on Adidas balls and that they were using real-world physics data that had been imported into the game to ensure the most realistic ball physics ever seen. And then you get the game and it's you know fractionally slidier along the floor than it was in the game before. And actually, it's made no difference whatsoever. So it's, it's an odd one. And for me, personally, I thought that the ball physics in 2019 were pretty great maybe a bit light as you say but on the ball the feeling was was pretty good so i always look at stuff like this and think okay it's it's good that they're improved but did they really need improving so um yeah it's of course any improvement is good news but i don't know whether it's something to um to shout about um, yeah absolutely. that's something you would shout about from the rooftops maybe in 2012 but in 19 it's like graphics it's something that is almost like a given you know you expect it and uh, that brings us on to number two, which is new first touch techniques. Um, like I was saying a moment ago about your ball visits don't mean nothing if they're still like Velcroed to the player when they make these touches. Because again, there's times when you can you do the lofted free pass, or you do the long ball, and a striker almost all the, almost always the attacker like perfectly controls it, and you just don't feel like there's any reason to be trepidatious about it. And be like, oh, what's going to happen with this touch? And again, it's there on the old PS2 versions. You know, every single play of the ball is different, you know. And I guess, yeah, sometimes it's algorithm-based and it's kind of random. But it was kind of Konami's way of recreating that sense of unpredictability in football. Because, you know, this, the mechanics and the data wasn't there like it is now. And it's something that's half there in FIFA. And sometimes you have to tweak the sliders to get it. 
but you can improve the first touch area and it gives you that sense of like I can't sprint onto a, a loose ball because I'll lose possession or I can't pass too heavily because it'll flick up off my um, receiver's boot and you never feel like you have to worry about these sort of things so it's nice to see that they've acknowledged this in the game I hope that more players place emphasis on this I hope that more online players especially um, appreciate this change and they realise that you can't ping pong the ball around the pitch with your eyes closed and then there you are even in front of goal um, because these things should theoretically affect the online play more than anything you know what happens when you get two human players trying to exploit the game will this stop them and I feel like FIFA FIFA wanted to give you that hope that this is what's going to stop you know the spammy play but it always returns one way or another during that game cycle it usually ends up returning in the form of patches but it usually starts off good doesn't it <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the hope is that it's uh, they have the the nerve to keep it if there are complaints about oh these first touches are going astray that they've got the nerve to go actually we're, we're going to keep it like this and that kind of feeds into something we'll come to shortly but before then uh, number three is finesse dribbling now this is a a new dribbling system that some are saying that it's uh, the fear is that it makes dribbling too easy for everybody now the way that dribbling works in 2019 at the moment i don't know how you feel about it but i've always thought that to input the different skill moves to be able to beat a defender you're having to input these things a second in advance and try and predict where someone's going to go when they are you know 20 feet away from you and, and approaching you and you don't know it's that's not how dribbling is in, in exactly. real life for me it has to be instantaneous so uh, i think it sounds quite promising but then there's the, the flip side which is uh, a few people have said that their fear is that it will make dribbling too easy for everybody which that's how i feel about fifa at the minute that dribbling is just everybody can do it to a kind of messi-esque or yeah. even a, a ronaldinho-esque standard and it makes a bit of a mockery of, of playing online so how do you feel about that well yeah absolutely i mean dribbling in itself is an art and if everybody can do it then it's not special you just end up you're just battling the game mechanics um if everybody has that power um to dribble and i do agree with what you're saying that i mean because i used to love actually the um the idea of flicking both sticks in certain directions to kind of perform a skill but I did come to terms with the fact that really you just input in a command to pull off a canned animation. And like you said, there's that, um, there's a dilemma of predicting what your defender's going to do, the defender predicting what you're going to do. And it's preemptive. It's not really reactive, is it? Which is what dribbling is. That's the art of dribbling is that it's almost like, you know, sparring of the feet, isn't it? It's not, pre- it shouldn't be preemptive. It should really be about, you know, genius and decision making and reaction, you know, and it's something that football games have always had difficulty, like, in my opinion, I actually think that's one of the areas that a lot of football games have had difficulty replicating the most is, you know, the art of the skillful player and dribbling. You know, um, both games over the years and even over the, the decades um, experimented with different ideas like the canned animation and stuff like that, um, having a, a trick stick. Um, I think FIFA probably excelled a little bit more in that area, but um, there's still something that's unsatisfying about it. But it's one of those things where, obviously... It's in the press release and it sounds good on paper, but you will never ever know until you play it yourself. It's really, really hard to make up an opinion. Um, and again, you have the conflicting information from those that played it. Some people say, wow, it's great. And then some people highlight the concerns that you just mentioned. Um, I had one person tell me that um, 
the weight of the game and like the weight of the players is more akin to PES 14. And I was like, whoa, 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 don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's just like with these things, you have to play it for yourself. You know, you never, you can't really trust the opinion of um, someone because they just see the, they see these games differently. And they see the world differently. Just like we all see things differently. You hear something in a song that somebody else doesn't hear and you go, that clicks with me. And I think gaming is the same, same with football gaming. One person says, oh, it feels slower and it feels heavier. And then you play it and you went, what game did you play then? It takes me back to the Freezer Bird comments about PA1 passing on uh, 2019 and, and things like that, where you hear it and then you see videos of it and you think, well, I can't really square what you're saying yeah. to this video. It doesn't make sense, but uh, you've played it. So uh, yeah, I, I trust your opinion. And then you play the game yourself and you go, this is just magnets. It's it's pinball with magnets. And um, as you say, without playing it yourself, it's it's difficult to make that judgment. But while all we've got are the videos, that, that's all we can do. And that brings us on to number four, which is context-sensitive kick accuracy. So like the first touch technique stuff, this is something that I, I do. It does interest me and I think is, is quite important. And he was talking about how that kind of error you have error at the start of the game and then over time it's patched out because people go, oh, it's, I, I'm not scoring often enough, basically. And with this context-sensitive kick accuracy, i.e. miss kicks, this fascinates me because um, Barry from uh, The Midnight Kid from uh, Pez Universe was saying that he had um, a few games where he was playing the same kind of uh, cross to a player and hitting the same volley and every time he was just absolutely skewing this volley off the foot and you know, out for a throw in almost. And he was thinking, what's going on here? Am I not timing this right? What's what's happening? And then a little pop-up came up to explain, this is because we've added context-sensitive kick accuracy now. And if the spin on the ball is quite violent and your body position is not great, then this will be the, the outcome. So I don't know if it could well be the case that after a few weeks, they, they patch it out because people complain about, oh, hang on, I'm not scoring every one of these crosses. But I don't know from the video evidence if it happens often enough for my liking. It's it's not that I never want to see a pass perfectly hit and that I want every pass to be off target because people always seem to react in extreme ways. When you say, I want to see more misplaced passes, then the, the common response is, well, the professional footballers, mm. what do you want? Do you want them kicking the ball out of touch every five minutes and, and you take, you know, you complete 50% of your passes, your pass accuracy is terrible. And of course, that's not what anybody wants, but you also want it to be based on the real world idea of if you're trying to hit the ball in an awkward um, scenario where you'd be better to take a first touch instead, then you're you're usually punished for this and it's you know it's represented well so it'd be interesting to see how that's implemented but how, how do you feel about the um context sensitive kick accuracy feature again that could be to me like i'm a big stickler for the contextuality of um football games so when i heard that i mean i even retweeted and i was like you know this could be um the thing that kind of balances this game you know sort of like unintentionally <laughs> you could maybe balance it but again i saw the footage and i just thought i don't really see it Surely give it the benefit of the doubt and play it myself, but you feel like you would know it if you saw it. But like I said, I banged on about it, um, the idea that if a player is losing balance or a player is kind of rushing, you shouldn't be able to kind of squeeze off that perfect pass or shot. You know, we see it all the time in football where like, you know, even players were through and goal and they got that slight bit of pressure. It changes everything, you know, 
and they end up kind of just scuffing the ball. It's almost like you never see players scuff the ball or you know fluff a shot. Really, it's or it's almost always a misplaced. Well, what's the word? It's almost always a, a shot that goes wide or a shot that goes on target, but you never really see the misplaced shots in the, to the extent that you do on FIFA, for example. And I think that FIFA has better contextuality than Pez. And even in FIFA 19, I feel like it handles the contextuality better than it does on Pez. Um, I know that FIFA 19 probably has a lot of criticism as well for a lot of his own reasons. But, I mean, I picked that game up a couple of weeks ago and I had not played FIFA 19 at all. last one I played was 18. So it felt like a whole new game to me. And I instantly noticed, like, wow, you know, even on assisted, you are misplacing stuff if your if your player isn't in the correct um, scenario for it. You can't hit first time crosses, hitting volleys, you know, is hit and miss. You know, it was a great respect to timing and understanding your player's positioning and the body shape. And one of the things that irked me as well was um, doing the E3 live stream when Adam was pitching the game and commentating. Um, he did something where like. Beckham had the ball on like the left side of his body and he tried to switch the play. And instead of going, right, the ball's on the left side of my body, I haven't got time to readjust. I should really hit this from my left and hope. Instead, like for some reason, like um, his right foot comes across his body and he does this weird kind of sliced pass and it still perfectly finds the ball receiver on the other end of the pitch. And I just thought to myself, that's not contextual because if you try doing that in real life, you'd either not get any lift on the ball if you're trying to slice it with like the outside of your boot, so to speak, with like the ball on that side of your body. It's things like that where you kind of go, they put, they say they put these things in the game and you just don't see them. And you think, are you lying? Or is it something that is so sort of like random? You have to trigger like a certain set of circumstances for you to see something and then it's gone and you probably don't see it again for a little while, you know? Yeah. I think, I think the answer to that is there was a Palmeiras versus uh, Flamengo video that showed a player trying to take a first touch and the ball rolled over his foot because it was a bad first touch and it looked great, but it was the one instance in a, a an entire match video where I saw that. And I think that this stuff, uh, I, I'm saying this based on videos, of course, I've not played the game, but it feels to me like this stuff might be, you see it once where they're saying, oh, you miss kicks are a thing now. You might see it two or, or three times. Um, a game which wouldn't be too bad but then bad first touches and things you'll see once a game with um, some of the worst teams in the game which feels like it's great that you're adding this stuff in but we need to to see it um, yeah and um, also just quickly I mean the other point about how the counter argument from people is well they're professional footballers you know of course they're going to be more accurate than the average guy it's almost like a contradictory statement because it's like well if you are such a connoisseur of watching football then you would also understand that even with professional footballers and top fight footballers, it's how possession changes in the game. You know, possession is usually won and lost more often with misplaced passes than it is actual tackles and challenges. Yeah, it's it's not represented in, in Pro Evo at the minute, I, I don't think. And you're talking about uh, FIFA there and that there is, a, a, in my opinion, a lot wrong with, with FIFA. But in terms of that contextuality, in terms of mistakes being in there you're talking about the fact that those mistakes are in there even when you're playing on assisted i think with fifa and i'll only stay on this subject briefly because this is uh, an evo web thing and it's all about uh, pro yeah. evo but i do find it i wonder if maybe the biggest problem with fifa is that when you play ultimate team and things like that the player attributes are so insanely high because when you play with standard teams you do see all of those mistakes and you do have to have the right position to 
to pull off some of those passes and some of those crosses and volleys and things. So the scope is there in FIFA. It's just that whenever you play online, you're playing against teams of legends and teams of yeah, ridiculously you... boosted players. and that You can see what they're trying to, to go for. And for me, in, in all honesty, hand on heart, and I, I don't like to say it, I think in terms of the directions of the two games at the minute, FIFA are going more down that route of realism. They've overhauled the tactics and the, the tactic um, creation system that's in the game now is, is deeper than, than what's in Pro Evo. Uh, you don't have things like advanced instructions in there, so you can't say, um, I want my uh, wingbacks to, to act as wingers, but you can set the mentality of your wingbacks individually so that you can yeah. have one one winger one wing back doing that and one wing back staying back. There's so much more scope in terms of tactics in FIFA, even if they're not perfectly represented a lot of the time. And in terms of the engine, in terms of misplaced passes and, and everything else, it does lean so much more towards that the simulation aspect than Pro Evo does right now for me. And that's, as I say, FIFA does a, um, a lot wrong, in my opinion. It's still far too fast, and the AI is, is ridiculous in that it can play these psychic perfect passes without... Um, having to take a touch of the ball, but do you know what that happens in Pro Evo as well? Yeah. So it's um, neither game is perfect, but I think they do have different targets now. It feels to me like, well, Pro Evo have signalled it entirely with changing their name to eFootball Pez. Their clear goal right now is to satisfy those guys, and they've said themselves they want to be the one choice when it comes to esports. If you want to play a virtual football game. Um, in that esports arena, they want to be the name that that stands out, and that's what their goal is. And it feels like FIFA, they already have that, so their goal is a little bit wider. And maybe, fingers crossed, this is the year when the offline guys uh, for both titles get a, a little bit more out of uh, the latest releases. Yeah, absolutely. I think also just to touch on what you mentioned about how online, especially a lot of people only really get to play with the top-end players and the top-end squads. And, you know, the fundamentals are there for, like, the passing error and stuff like that in respect to stats. And people don't really get a chance to appreciate it. It's kind of like the basis of Ultimate Team, which is, like, starting off with, you know, your bronze players. It's one of the closest callbacks to the old Mass League. You start off with all these, you know, unknown players. And if you're not spending real money on FIFA, it's kind of enjoyable for about five games until, inevitably, <laughs> you get matched with... <laughs> the, the plastic teams yeah it's it's unavoidable unfortunately my dad who is uh, 74 years old uh, still loves playing football games and he gets his ass handed to him every time he plays but um he would never spend a penny on it because he thinks and i think as well if i'm honest that the idea of spending 50 pounds on a game and then spending more money on top of that is ridiculous and that's not even getting into the fact that you're not buying something physical and tangible you're buying a bit of, you know, you're changing a code from a zero to a one, essentially, and you're paying money for that. But he has the same thing. of He, he won't play. I begged him to play the season modes and things where you pick a real team and you're against a real team. So you're not going to be against Ronaldo, Messi, classic Batistuta, and, you know, whoever else <laughs> you be. You're going to play. It's going to be a relatively fair match with stats that aren't absolutely off this planet. But he loves Ultimate Team too much and this the whole kind of 
the idea of being able to improve your squad and, and things like that. And I just think I, I couldn't do it anymore. And it's the same with, with my club, except with my club, they give things away. And it's, again, we're talking about that kind of fast food gaming culture. That's exactly who it appeals to, because you can start up my club. And I hadn't turned, I, I, someone else said this on Evo Web the other day, I hadn't gone into my club for months. And you go into it and you get, about 10 pop-ups saying oh sorry for the downtime here's 10,000 coins I know. um sorry there was an error with this here's 10,000 coins uh quick we've announced the new pairs uh here's 50,000 coins for logging in within a week and then suddenly you're like oh okay i'll go and buy some players and then you've got five superstars immediately and as soon as you boot the game from day one of buying the game you've got you know three or four absolute top class players and when ultimate team started out with fifa it used to be the first season it was announced, you'd start out with a bronze team and there were bronze cups and things. And it took time to yeah, get out of, of that, that kind of having all bronze players. You had to work to yeah, get you this. Yeah, you had to earn them. Yeah, exactly. And that seems to have gone now because people don't have the patience for it. And it's a case of, well, if I can't get a world-class player within you know a, a day or two of playing it, then what is even the point? And it's... It is such a shame that that's, uh, that that's where we've gone. Well, the thing is that, like we said, they've curated the games now to feel like the player has no other choice but to spend real money in order to compete because the grind is literally insulting. If you, I mean, not so much in players, but I think in FIFA it's probably more insulting. The grind is that, you know, you probably have to play like 50 games, you know, kind of earn enough money for a pack. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, where's my, where's my wallet? Um, but that kind of... That mentality, it's almost like a poison. That poison sort of like seeped its way into other games. And even like indie games where the developers surely would have like a different kind of um, ethic. But no, that's not there. Like an example I can give you is um, there's a game called Disc Jam. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, is that the... It's like a frisbee throwing yeah. game. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, so it's the next-gen version of... It's based on a game called Windjammers, which is like a SNES game. Um, but Disc Jam is basically like a... a a tribute to that and it's the exact same thing i just mentioned you start up with like three generic players with like the ugliest outfits and you have all these skins and all these wicked frisbees and stuff like that you can customize your player and the only way you really realistically to get them is by spending real money you can grind to them but it's like the amount of money you earn per game is just literally insulting it's almost like the equivalent of earning a penny but you know a skin costs like a thousand pounds in like in-game currency so it's just like, who in their right mind is going to grind for this? Why even give you the option of grinding for it? It's obviously to kind of give you this sort of um, uh, devil's advocate kind of mentality. You've got like the angel on one shoulder saying, yeah, grind for it. That's the old school way. That's the right thing to do. And you've got the devil saying, ah, screw that. You know, only losers grind. You know, you can have all this and, you know, be like your friends who have the skins. And it's not just in this jam, it's in all sorts of games. But the, the thing is with this jam is that it's like a small budget indie game. And even they have like corrupted themselves and sold out and been like we need to make more money but it's like nobody's playing your game in the first place because it's such a, a niche game shouldn't you just be more focused on making that game a rewarding experience and then maybe making a sequel when the demand is there but if people are going to go oh, well why do i spend my money in this when i can spend it in fortnite <laughs> you know yeah that's that's the other side of it isn't it and it's it's a shame that that is the kind of attitude that has taken over games development now but uh, that that's where we are unfortunately but um Moving on to feature number five, that is Inspire. This is the idea that if you have a player who is great at dribbling, um, your the, the teammates of this player will 
that creates some space for him to dribble into. Uh, if you have someone who's a great long ball player, then you'll see players uh, running long to uh, to receive the pass. Um, I think the long-term idea with this is to uh, make matches feel different from each other by different sets of players resulting in, in different kind of teamwork on the pitch. I, it sounds like a great idea to me, but I, I do wonder how that interferes with your team tactics and where the crossover is. But uh, yeah, what do you think of that? I feel like both games had like a variation of this one way or the other down the line. I mean, Pez have had um, kind of various like marketing names for these things. I mean, you had Team Vision, you had the Heart thing. And it's just the first thing that I thought of when I heard it. I thought, is it just one of these things that they really want to make you feel like each game is going to be unique and the players are going to be personable. But to be honest, in the previous years that they've incorporated something like that, I've never really seen it or felt it. Um, maybe no more than I had on the, the PS2 games. But I don't know whether it's just because individuality was more pronounced on those older games where, you know, you felt like when you had a dribbler or you had a playmaker or you had um, an enforcer, they were so pronounced that you knew what they were capable of and you would try and play that way with those players. Now, all the players are so similar that it's really hard to make them stand out. And especially once you start playing as the top teams, it's just like, you know, you're playing with like, you're playing with like 10 Ronaldo's pretty much. And they just happen to be in various positions rather than them having like strengths and weaknesses. So it's one of those things, again, like you would need to see in action. I don't think Gnarmy really did a lot to actually promote that feature either. It just seems to be one of these things they just mentioned. There's not been a lot of emphasis on it either because all we really got really as far as media is just... Um, a few streamed games and like captured games from like the people that went to these events and that's really it the days of um, those trailers where they actually break down the mechanic like they didn't like Pets Fane and that those like long gone you know Mm. where they would actually highlight wow this is what we've done with the defending this year and there would literally be an entire like two minute video just showing you like um, the art and the science of like defending and how they changed it so those kind of mini trailers they the days of them seem to be long gone Um, yeah it's a lot of these features are announced and then we don't really know uh, the mechanics of, of how they work, which, again, there'll be a feature I mentioned shortly, which is the perfect example of that. But moving on to uh, number six, that is new defending animations. How do you feel about that announcement? The new defending, I mean, again, if there's like certain you know novelty animations, I don't really know what more I could say about it other than like, if I could play it. Um, sometimes I feel like defending is almost like with... You're playing with like bumper cars or dodgems, you know, it's almost like most of the time you have more like just running into a player. And again, that's not the art of football, is it? It's like playing a boxing game and you just think you both just got to hit each other with haymakers. It's like, no, there's an art to it and there should be an art to defending. But again, the defenders have no personality. It's you either, the game either decides you can dispossess a player or you don't. You know, the days of having like that kind of balls to the wall style of like Stuart Pierce or the elegance of Maldini, you know, that's not replicated in the games. You know, the defenders don't have, you know, they have less personality than like attackers do in pairs. And defending's always been something that's just been kind of skimmed over in football games over the years, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And someone made the point the other day that if you're closing someone down with Raheem Sterling, for example, compared to, I don't know, uh, Kyle Walker, you have as much success with either one of them and your <laughs> tackling is, is yeah. you know, as accurate with either one of them when you're just holding down the pressure button. And it's something that, you know, it, it hadn't really stood out to me until I'd, I'd read that comment and I thought, you know what, that's so true that when I'm running around a pitch trying to, you know, get 
possession back because the AI is just pinging it around and I'm starting to lose my temper and I'm just pressing with everybody. But yet yeah, the success rate with, with someone like Raheem Sterling, because he's fast, the tackle is, is just as good and the pressure is just as good as it would be with the defender. And you realise just how um, you know generic a, a lot of this stuff is. And I will say that in terms of this feature, uh, new defending animations, um, someone else uh, did say when I was um, interviewing them for this podcast that they hoped it wasn't just what they showed in the trailer at this point, which was a defender uh, being hit in the nuts with the ball. Um, hmm. Hmm. If it's stuff like that, then it's not going to add to gameplay. It's just another animation annoyance where you know someone starts stumbling and you can't get control of them again for three seconds for, for no real reason. But um, anyway, that, that moves us on to number seven, which is deliberate fouls. Now, you were talking before about things in, this, um, in the trailers where we don't know much about them. We just see the words come up and you see a, a tiny bit of footage that doesn't really demonstrate anything properly. This is one of those things. I don't know whether this is a, a button press that's being added yeah. or it's contextual, um, but the idea of deliberate fouls anyway, how, how do you feel about that and how would you implement it? Well, again, um, just to add on that, you said you don't know whether it's going to be contextual or, or if there's like a mechanic that you actually have to trigger or even worse, is it going to be random? And you just go, God damn it. You know, I literally would never have instructed the player to do that. And heaven forbid, you could see like a dangerous free kick or a penalty. And we all know how goddamn gratuitous the free kicks are in Pez 19. You know, it's like you could see the free kick more often than, you know, somebody misses one. But um, again, it's one of those things where you, it's thrown in the trailer and you don't know whether to take it as just this novelty thing or whether it's going to be an actual feature where you sacrifice conceding a yellow card or something, but to stop like an almost certain goal scoring attack. And again, it's part of football, but is it one of these things that's just going to like disappear into the ether, like diving or like shirt pulling, you know, is just going to be one of these things that just randomly happens. And diving made a slight return um, in 19. I saw more dives than I think I've ever seen in the history of the series. But um, when you mentioned that professional foul mechanic, it's just, when you mentioned the defending animations and you mentioned the professional fouls, I just, I was instantly reminded of um, the Pez 11 trailer where he saw John Terry do his famous um, diving, um, you know, sacrifice, sacrificial header animation that he did at the World Cup. Mm. Do you know what, I know what you mean. Remember, yeah. And it was like they put this in the trailer, and you go, it's like an animation that's just like based off just one thing that happened, like you know, <laughs> one time, you know. And yeah, that then, is that's pro evo in a, a nutshell, I think, when it comes to adding features like that. But uh, that brings us on to number eight, which is new skills and abilities. Now, I've been well, once I've got to this point with most people. I've gone on a little bit of a rant about having attributes and skill cards or, or whatever you want to call them. Um, how do you feel about the feature, the, the new skills and abilities being added and that whole balance uh, in general? You wonder if there's any point in putting more skills in if the players are more pronounced in their individuality. I mean, back in the day, I would have loved the idea of having all these the skills that we have now because you saw how well the skills were appreciated on those PS2 games. The silly person in me always wanted to see little things like die frequency or how often the player would be offside or maybe, um, heaven forbid, how much dissension the player would um, <laughs> throw like if they were penalised or something. And it's like the ref- there was like another feature where the referee would card a player for dissension and you just think... But the problem is, is that 
is something you have no control over and you know there's the the f the morality of that i don't know if more skills mean much if all the players are great anyway at everything they do that they do in general i find it odd that they add things like so one of the new cards is through balls and i find it odd to put that against someone's short pass long pass ability so in theory someone could have a short pass and long pass of 90 and not have the through balls card and their through balls not be as good as someone who has the through balls card but their short passing and long passing is you know 40 out of 100 it's a really odd and there's a man marking card as well which you could have the best defender in the world who doesn't have that card and then can't man mark as well as someone from a second tier french team who you know isn't very good but he's some for some reason exceedingly good at specifically man marking it's such an odd way around to do it for me but um i I don't know i I can understand it adds more individuality to players because it's skills that certain players have that others don't but the way that it's implemented at the minute I'm, i'm not overly convinced but um that's that's just me but that brings us on to number nine which is the master league legend managers so the fact that you can be johan cruyff or maradona how do you feel about that Again, it's one of those nice little fan service things that they put in, I guess. You know, you've got the agreement with the player and their likenesses, and I think it's just a way of utilising it. Um, I mean, especially with someone like Cruyff, who had, like, an untimely passing, maybe they had something in place where, like, they had um, a licence to use him for a few years, and it was just, like, another way of kind of um, capitalising on that. But to me, I think it's just one of those harmless things. I mean, you know, it's like if I was going to do a mass league, I'd probably be more immersive and I'd pick like a real player or a player that I would actually like to manage my club. I don't know if I'd trust Maradona with <laughs> um, a football club, but um, it's just one of those um, nice aesthetic touches. There's no harm in it. I mean, me personally, I like to separate um, legends from real players when I play the game. More power to people who like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of the things that's like it breaks my immersion. And we have like, you know, young, good looking Totty with Ronaldo on the same pitch. It's just, I'd rather have like the old school, like the immortalized versions of them and they play against immortalized versions of other players. And that's really it. But hey, this is like the world where you have Pokemon football now and you can mishmash players and you have young Beckham and old Beckham in the same bloody team. And you just go, ugh. Yeah, it's, it's like the guys who, in Ultimate Team and My Club and things like that, it always. It doesn't sit right with me that you can both have the same players and play them against each other. It's I understand that you know it's, it's only a game, but it just I stands out, and I, I I don't like that. And um, there are quite a few people I've spoke to so far who are actually a big fan of this this kind of stuff, and I can I can see why legends appeal. I I, I do get it, but for me, it's just it again takes me out of the immersion because it's stuff that's impossible in terms of the managers. We were talking before about this idea that Konami are a business and in deciding what they're going to spend time and money on, a lot of the decision-making process might be based around cost. And I just wonder if adding in legend managers for the Master League is one of those things where it's a case of we've got the image rights for these guys and we've got an insanely talented art department who are great at what they do and they're in-house, so you know they're on our payroll. How much of a quick win would it be to get those guys to add in some faces of these uh, these legend players as they are now or even just let people pick a, a player who's a, a legend in the game already at the minute a, a player rather than a manager and just convert them 
to a manager format, i.e. put them in a suit and you know, let them manage with that, and then we can announce that as a feature. And maybe that's I'm being incredibly glass half empty there and, and pessimistic, but um, I do things like that that don't stand out as really important features and something that we've been asking for for a long time. It does just make me think, huh, that's, uh, it, it stands out. But anyway, um, that brings us to number 10, which is the Master League Interactive Dialogue System. My, I say this every time, but I just think of the screenshot that says, uh, it's Maradona speaking to a press conference who says, uh, we're going to play a cool sportsman-like game of football, which is just the most, it's that Konami thing of translating into the most unrealistic kind of football and <laughs> spiel ever. But then some people say there's a charm to that. Where do you stand on that? And where do you stand on this this interactive dialogue system idea? Well, to start with what you ended with, the charm, I think it's too contrived. The charm is charming when it's an old game and it's the endearing cheesiness of those older games because you know that they were going in the opposite direction. You know, where FIFA was cool and it had the nice aesthetic and stuff like that. Konami had that kind of um, the dodgy dialogue, the horrible banners, the who ate all the pies and um, stuff like that. And it was more of a reflection of like how out of touch they were with like the rest of football in the world. Those so banners are still in the a, game, by the way. Oh, well, yeah, that's another thing. But the thing is, is that the charm is almost like a sense of innocence with the older games. Whereas now, because the world is so interconnected, there's no excuse for having bad dialogue in your game. You know, I mean, more people are bilingual than ever, more than ever. So there's no excuse to kind of pass it over as like, well, it was language barrier or mistranslation or something. And it's like, no bloody manager talks like that, you know. I mean, dialogue is something that is near and dear to me. And I mean, I love language. And it's just one of these things where you read something like that and just go, man, that really sucks me out of the game. Because you just think nobody talks like that. People don't talk like that. And it's like, it's so unnatural to have a conversation that's supposed to be like a heated verbal spar with someone. And you say that, it's so forced. So... Having the interchangeable dialogue, you know, I presume you mean it's going to be a bit like a Telltale game or like Deus Ex, where it's like multiple choice and, you know, um, the manager or the players remember certain phrases and certain reactions, certain decisions we would make. I mean, that's well, that, exciting that's, in itself, but yeah. That's the hope. That's certainly the hope. The trailer doesn't give much away. It just says, uh, yeah, interactive dialogue system. And the screenshots that we've seen are interactions with the press. Uh, hopefully there'll be interactions with players as well. My personal hope is that this does away. It's being labelled as Master League Remastered, and I'm hoping that that means things like the form arrows are done away with, and it's not a case of you can score a hat-trick with a player and then the next game he's depressed, and it actually makes <laughs> it to, to real things that are going on within your kind of game world. And I hope that you can talk to players and that your responses will affect their their morale. So if you're a Mourinho and the press are trying to put pressure on you and you're passing that on to the players, then you might get the fans behind you because they're saying, yeah, the players are rubbish, but then the players are against you because you're, you know, slagging them off every week. That's, I hope it's that level of depth and that it's not just, yeah, yeah here's a mini game and you do some talking and then it makes absolutely no difference. But the, rea- the reality is we don't know. Well, exactly. I mean, this is what makes... The Telltale games, um, Until Dawn, and the Quantic Dream games so fun is that you're invested because you understand that there is a consequence to your choices um, that you're making these things. And again, if it's just this rapid thing that's just like something to pass the time in pairs, and you understand there's no consequence, you know, you, you play player really should react negatively to something, he should remember something, it should linger with him, and he's still playing really well for you, or whatever. I mean, 
you kind of go, what's the point? What's the point of having it in the game? My my bigger dreams for a career or a Masley mate was something that had a deeper sense, like a deeper system of, you know, bureaucracy or diplomacy in the game, where you're dealing with all these off the pitch things, and it's it's like a kind of I don't know how I would describe it, you know, like a kind of like a, a novel uh, mechanic in the game, you know, where things are recorded, thing choices that you make are stored, and they come back to haunt you, you know, and you can balance it with the modern football of social media and the press being, you know more you know vulturistic than ever and voyeuristic than ever things like that i think are a nice fun thing to put in the game how you balance it in the football game i don't know i'm not a game developer but like that's what i would want from a master mode is an actual living breathing football world not just this self-contained thing where it's like nothing else matters apart from my club that i pick you know what's going on in the rest of the rest of the wonderful who's getting promoted elsewhere what team is actually becoming powerful in the world they're changing the guard do you have a choice to manage a national team and your team that you left is still carrying on with what you've left them with. And you have a choice to return to that league that you abandoned, but heralding a different club. Things like that, I think, would really entice me to a natural mass league mode. But nowadays, most of the time, it just feels like league mode with a couple of cutscenes and a couple of blurbs on the menu, and that's it. Yeah, I think that's that's how a lot of mass league players feel at the moment. Um, and speaking of mass league, number 11 is... Uh, more realistic transfers in the Master League, which it has to be said has been promised before. Mm. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's self-explanatory, isn't it? Um, you've had the end of the transfers where you'll see Messi go to QPR <laughs> and things like that. And again, it's another just immersion breaker. It's the common theme, I think, with Pez has been the immersion. It's like you want to make it look like a photorealistic game, but it's not. And then also you get a bit deep and you play the Master League mode. And again, it's not very realistic. And it's not very captivating. Wasn't it FIFA that introduced the you negotiate with um, the player and then the, cl- the club and then the player? Um, and that's something that has only made its way into the game in recent years. And again, it's always been a part of football. So I feel like both games are kind of playing catch up with the actual politics that go into transfers and not to mention like deadline day as well. It's hard for me to comment too much on Master League because I haven't played it for so long. So I feel like I can't do it that much justice. But from the impressions to hear from people, it sounds like not much has changed since when I last played it. And... Yeah, going back to your original point about the transfers, it's self-explanatory, isn't it? You want it to be believable. Um, players of certain value should only really be chased by certain clubs. You know, it's the least you can ask for. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, I can assure you, Master League has not moved on that much. In fact, uh, I think it was PES 2013 had things like you could invest in attacking coaches, defensive coaches. Uh, you could uh, allocate that budget around. You could, I'm sure it was either 2013 or another game of that era where you could uh, pay to expand the stadium and you'd get more money coming in, but yeah. the stadium size wouldn't actually increase. You just magically get more money. But um, yeah, unfortunately uh, it's not moved on much in recent years, but that uh, moving away from the, the master league, that takes us to number 12, which is new celebrations. How excited are you for the new celebrations? I pre-ordered the game as soon as I saw that stub about new celebrations <laughs> yeah again it's just another gimmicky thing you know it's Fortnite dances isn't it for pairs but the thing is that at least i have to pay for them i guess yeah i mean yeah. isn't that the next yeah. thing <laughs> yeah that is definitely the key to i think that makes me think about the uh, master league stuff and that if the master league became a microtransactions thing i would be as gullible as any of the kids who are like oh yeah i want to pay for that celebration i don't care if it costs me one pound fifty to put an l on my head like anton griezmann does because he yeah. got that off fortnite um 
if it was a master league thing and it was a case of if you pay even if it was a monthly thing give us 10 pounds a month and we'll actually flesh out the gameplay and make it deeper i wouldn't think twice i i really wouldn't so i can i can understand where you know how that culture is how how it does grip us all now because there is something that i think a lot of us maybe most of us would pay for if it meant real development for the things that that we really love about the game yeah but, i remember you uh, mentioning that on the pez universe one was the idea of like games as a service and it's like you're quite happily pay for like uh, a package you know you would get like your arcade well so you get like your my club package and like you're paying for that and it's literally just strictly my club content the game is played a certain way blah 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 or you'd get you know your your purest package and it was like the offline stuff and it's more realistic but you know you'd have like two different development teams working on like the two different versions of the game or something for example i remember you touching upon that and i was like it's an interesting um, proposition but yeah it's pretty more chance of um the queen playing for barcelona yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely it's for me as i said on that podcast there are three kind of spheres of, of football games players and that's the guys who want it to be esports-esque and everything to be a level playing field and this artificial skill gap i've started calling it of I don't want the defenders who are the best defenders in the world to do any defending whatsoever unless I've got control of them because otherwise it makes it too easy to auto-defend, um, which isn't, it's not realistic, but it's that esports genre, if you like, it has to be like that. Then you've got the people who want the realism, like I do, and you've got your, your online kind of crowd, and you can't possibly appeal to all three of those at once especially not the esports guys and the realism guys whatever you create cannot work for both of them because yeah, they are opposite got ends give. of the scale it, exactly and you can try and come up with a halfway house but that's never going to satisfy both camps so i think the only way to do that would be to have two separate development teams or two separate games but i think the reality it will be closer to the fact that in five years time offline gaming just won't exist other than a mode to play with your, your mates but um speaking of spending money uh, that brings us to number 13 which is new licenses uh, division twos are back they were taken away from italy and spain but they've come back uh the liverpool license is gone man united have come in and rumor has it that juventus and bayern are going to be the other two new individual team licenses this year how do you feel about any of that yeah, well, the thing with licenses is it's one of those things where you can sympathise with Konami because it's literally out of their control and they're doing the best they can with the little that they got. You know, it's just literally the way the market is. It's just the way that the culture is now. It's cutthroat. And with EA tying down so much stuff, it's almost like the Konami just pick up the scraps. It's what's fed to them. And it made mess that up. And to be fair, from a marketing standpoint, they do their best with it. I mean, I don't think they sell copies of the game alone on the fact that, you know, Man United is licensed or that the new camp's in but they try and present it like a big deal so I think that's what you should do if you're marketing your product you literally accentuate your strengths but at the end of the day it's just a consumer that gets frustrated with it because as a Liverpool fan you know Anfield's not going to be in now you know and it just seems like such a waste you've got this beautifully rendered stadium and that's it it's locked away in the vault until they're allowed to use it again and I think this might be the first time this gen that I'm going to actually pick up on the PC because um, with the strides that the modern community's made with the game, they caught up and they made the PC basically the ultimate destination for an authentic and immersive PES experience. But yeah, it just 
this flip-flopping and like trading in and out of license it's quite frustrating you know you only you really need like one good german team in the game to be represented um fairly as well you know you could never have Bayern, dortmund and schalke in at the same time you know you have to forfeit one of them and again it's out of the control but it's just it's just a shame those days of um putting in the, the blatantly putting in the stadium and calling it something different, you know, that's not going to fly anymore now because obviously um, copywriters and lawyers are more savvy than ever now. You can't even hide them in the game in the form of stadium parts that you jigsaw together like you used to be able to do with the boot editor. I mean, now you can't even have Zlatan. Zlatan's not even in PES 19. You know, an active player, one of the world's best players, and yeah, he's not even in the game. You had to put up with like a, a custom version of him. He's not even in like a PES shop, so to speak, or in a free agent section. And... That's the way that's going to go on the consoles now. A lot of these players have been locked out of the game. Great football clubs aren't being replicated in the game. I mean, thankfully, we have option files on one console. I feel sorry for Xbox owners, you know, that there's no accommodation for them in that aspect. But, yeah, yeah it's, it's just always a touchy subject, isn't it? I mean, it's just... It's the consumer that gets frustrated with more than anything. I can understand that, as you say, it's not Konami's fault. And I, I, it isn't um, that EA have more money and better lawyers uh, and so can just snap up the license to everything in the world but how do you feel about things like getting the scottish premier league license and putting rangers and celtic in there and saying oh yeah they're going to have accurate face scans and the right the stadiums recreated absolutely beautifully and then it turns out that literally six months later is when they actually arrive in the game that that to me it is their fault in, in that situation in my opinion yeah, that was baffling for me. I um, it was one of the things where I tried to give them like the benefit of the doubt from a logical standpoint because I thought I think it's beyond a technical issue. I thought it was like some sort of licensing oversight, just because it was so unfathomable that you can render these stadiums and promise people who pre-order the game that they're going to get this, and then they have to be delayed. I just thought, surely. I mean, I know it was only like three years ago that they'd done the same thing with the rosters being out of date, and that was just a scandal in and of itself. And I thought, surely they can't make the same mistake twice. I really wanted to believe, but I guess there's no on-the-record actual answer or explanation, but I really wanted to believe that it was some kind of loophole or licensing thing that they oversaw and they had to do this long-winded procedure to authorise using those stadiums in the game. Because I just can't imagine how this professional game developer screws something up like patching a stadium in the game, especially when people do it in the PC in the space of a week. It reminds me of uh, when people talk about the gameplay mods and things on PC where there are major issues in terms of the AI on consoles that someone on PC can edit a... I forget the name of the files, but they begin DT. Yeah. Um, they can just create a few changes in there and then, oh, ta-da, the AI suddenly stops spamming through balls or, or whatever it might be. And it, it is that thing of sometimes you know, modders just... They know exactly where to hit to get the the kind of response out of it that, that we want and it's not just a case of, of gameplay stuff that us kind of old farts want and maybe no one else does it's stuff like uh, stadiums where people have already put together some uh, you know beautiful i'm not saying that konami's uh, stadiums that they put together themselves are of the same quality as, as uh, modders because they're obviously absolutely incredible when they're done but um, it's just just an odd situation to uh, to delay it. And as you say, it does make you think: was it just the case that they've literally got one guy on work experience during the summer making all of the stadiums, <laughs> or uh, is there something uh, you know a deeper legal problem there? But um, 
that brings us to number 14, which is match day mode. Have you heard about match day mode? It's this thing where, say there's a derby at the weekend, say it's um, Inter Milan against AC Milan. You vote for whichever team you want to win, and then every win that you get, um, I think online and offline, but I'm not sure, that counts as a point towards the team that you voted for. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's literally a copy of um, what FIFA did, and I think they even called it match day mode or something. I swear, they called it something like that. You might um, be able to correct me on it, but yeah, it's literally lifting the same feature that FIFA did. It's just one of those novelty things that it's like, yeah, sure, you know, you want a little break from my club or Mass League or something, something that you can do. Um, it's <laughs> it's neither here nor there. It's nothing really that I could analyse that deeply other than it's just an extra, an extra distraction, I guess. I'm detecting indifference, which is certainly my um, response to it. it it's yeah. Not, it's not great in FIFA. And in fact, I think FIFA still do something where when you turn the game on, it asks you which team you support. And I'm yeah. sure it keeps a league table in the background, but they just don't advertise it and they don't sell it as a feature because no one cares about it. But anyway, uh, that brings us to uh, number 15, which is Ronaldinho. This is the final feature that was announced in the first trailer. Just simply Ronaldinho. Um, I think that he's motion captured better now and his tricks are in the game um, a little bit more accurately than before. And there was also a recreation that they used in the trailer of a goal that he scored against Chelsea. Yeah. And when I saw that, my honest first reaction, I meant to say this to uh, people I've spoken to before, but it's just come back to me now. It's just sadness that <laughs> they've, re- they've recreated this clearly by just manipulating the engine to make it look like that gold it when the reality is during standard gameplay that situation would never happen because the ai just isn't positionally intelligent enough to put the players in in those positions but anyway how do you feel about ronaldinho being not added but updated i guess um again it's one of those things where it's not really a massive coup because he was already in the game it's just another another version of him you know you have the um the modern version of him which is Again, it's a nice touch, and it's probably the version that I would use if I was going to buy him in the Mass League or play in my club and use him, you know, just because of my own quest for immersion. But it is what it is. He's a brand ambassador, you know, mo-capped him. They got him to do a... I don't know if they mo-capped him with the hand-animated it, but, you know, got the authentic Ronaldinho in the game. It is what it is. I'll probably never ever play as him. But I know what you're saying about then replicating the, the goal for the sake of the trailer. It's, it's one of those things. The Konami psychology is that you do this, you know, um, razzmatazz, you know, pop style um, trailer that's supposed to like capture your attention. You go, wow, I remember that goal. But yeah, the situation will never happen in the game. It's literally just canned animations in a trailer and they've been doing it for years. But yeah, again, it's neither here nor there. It's the same with like the Iniesta thing. People really believe that he's got some sort of input on developing the game like he's some sort of um advisor and it's like mate they've just signed him and said hi do we have permission to say that you um gave input in the game and he's like yeah whatever and that's really it and you just film this um contrived cutscene with him sitting down pretending to give instructions to the development team and they're scribbling down notes you know furiously that's it, it is what it is it's just a pr um stunt you know with with that i always find it strange that you've got they show that video of Iniesta playing it at home and going, wow, you can tell just how much uh, work and intelligence has gone into this. And then you, you're expected to believe that this is a, you know, a real, deep, meaningful relationship between Iniesta and the developers. And then about... <laughs> or that that was even the real interaction. 
Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. When you um, when you develop a game, you definitely bring your camera crew, and you know you have the nicest lounge with the greatest view. <laughs> yeah, uh, and not only that, but a minute later, you have Messi doing this thing where he's looking down a camera lens and just pressing buttons randomly on the controller and going, "Ah, oh, yeah." And you think, well, okay, in the same day, they've managed to film that of just Messi just smashing buttons on a controller and looking down a camera lens and you think that both of these things or, or one of these things is real and one of these things is a pr thing but again I'm, I'm being slightly cynical there but it reminds me of the fifa stuff where for fifa 19 trailers they had some premier league managers at next to a whiteboard saying yeah this is um how i set up my team this is how city play you've got pep guardiola saying yeah and uh, the, the way that we play the the fast kind of possession football that, that, that we use um, the way that that's recreated in the game, blah, blah, blah. And with little captions coming up and saying, you know, these guys have helped us put these tactics into the game for real. And you, you think, no, they've all been paid to turn up in front of this whiteboard for a day. And how could you possibly think that, you know, four or five Premier League managers have come in and gone, oh my God, what's that defensive line doing there? You've programmed this. You don't know what <laughs> football is. Christ, it just, it, it wouldn't happen. You're going to you're gonna sit down and go, yeah, those are footballers. Um, how many grand per minute am I getting again? Exactly. But, but yeah. It's, 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 an, it's an endorsement thing, isn't it? That's all it is. It's basically like getting Michael Jackson to endorse Pepsi, you know, probably drinks um, spinach juice for, you know, but yeah. when he's in public, I mean, he's got to be seen to endorse this. And the thing is that even if those managers and even if Iniesta really did provide valuable data and feedback, what a waste that would be. Because it wouldn't be appreciated by the lowest common denominator, which is what the game is kind of marketed to. When you put this stuff in the game, it's for the gullible consumer to go, wow, definitely care about this now. You know, because developers care because they got Iniesta to program the game. Yeah, I feel like it's almost a little bit of a tick box for the guys like us who take things more seriously. But then also, it's not going to show up in the game and the vast majority, and the, I mean the vast, vast majority, aren't going to play the game and go, hey, this doesn't feel like it's been influenced by Iniesta. Do you remember when they said that in the trailer? So it doesn't matter to the majority. It's something that just makes us go, ah, they are listening. But it's without having to be followed up by... A, a lot of work to uh, to prove the the point, if you like. But um, yeah, and it's something just adds a little bit more gravitas to their EP trailer. You know, it means a lot more. You know, it makes a big deal when you do have like an um, an established player endorsing your product. That's you could just do gameplay trailer on its own, and it's one thing. But when you have that real world respected player in the game, people probably lean forward in their seats a little bit more. They go, "Ooh, say more!" And that's yeah. what it's there for. That's the purpose that it serves. It is just a, a more, a fancier version of putting, you know, like FIFA used to put Wayne Rooney on the box or, or what have you. It's a slightly more upmarket version of that, I guess. But yeah. um, I have one final question for you. Thank you so much for all of the time you've given me tonight. It is coming up to 20 to 1 now. I just I want to make all of the podcast uh, listeners aware of just how dedicated Mr. Mafia Murderbag has been tonight. Thank you so much for your time. My last question for you is this. If you had to sum up what PES means to you in three words, and that can be uh, past PES, present PES, and your, your view of the future, or it can just be what it meant to you at its most, what it means to you now. What three words really sum up PES for you and how you feel about it? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it has been my life. It's been my life. It's been a big part of my life, you know, probably spent half my life playing these games. I mean, what does that say? 
keep coming back to it. I don't know why. Um, there's, it's almost like a sense of loyalty, a sense of optimism that you hope that, you know, it will go back to the glory days. And there's also the sense of, um, you know, morbid reality that it's not going to be the same. It's like that, ex, that ex-girlfriend that was, wasn't really that good looking, but had this great personality. And now you've got the bombshell, but you can't have a conversation with her to save your life. Yeah, it's, Is that bleak? <laughs> no, no, it makes perfect sense. So if you were to choose three words from that, I've had some crackers so far. Um, I think it was Charles who went with fuck it for. Uh, <laughs> that had to cut going as one word. I think it was beauty, pain, fuck it, because he just can't see things uh, getting any better, but he misses those those old days. And still, we put ourselves through this every year, this kind of desperate hope that things are going to go back to uh, the way they were so yeah what three words really uh, what you've just said i completely agree with but what three words would you uh, pick out for your uh, how you feel about pez and what pez means to you um i'd say ecstasy agony and oh god what's that word there's literally a word i wanted to use for it and it's just gone <laughs> damn it's ah that's it macabre <laughs> But I don't know if I pronounce it right. Is it macabre or macabre? Macabre, I think is how you pronounce it. I see where you where you're coming from. I think we're all well, most of Eva Webb, I think, is in that place at the minute. But yeah, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that you spent uh, two and a half hours talking to me about how depressing it is to have played those old school games and miss them dearly. It means Pez means exactly what you've just described it means as much to me i've been on eva web for 16 years now yeah and it hurts honestly it hurts me when people say that eva web is just this kind of toxic negative cesspit and i say that knowing that we've just spent two and a half hours critiquing the modern games based on those old ones that have a place a special place in our hearts because of um nostalgia and everything else but as a few people have said to me now when I've been talking to them, it's more than nostalgia because you can go back and play those games and they're still brilliant. They offer something that modern games don't offer. And that's the thing. They're not just, they don't just have a place in our heart because of the fact that we played them when we were young. They have a place in our heart because they still offer something different to other football games and the latest football games that we can go back to and enjoy and go, why don't we have this anymore? And that's why this critique exists in the first place. So it's not about being negative. It's more about not being able to kind of applaud a modern game with a different mindset that doesn't tick off those boxes that those old games did for us, that really got us hooked and that made us fall in love with the series. So I absolutely see where you're coming from. And I it means as much to me. So thank yeah, absolutely. you. Absolutely. I mean, we... We've, for a toxic community, so to speak, I think we've dissected um, the games quite insightfully. I think that you shouldn't just, like you said, applaud a game just because it's new and you should be excited because it's not out yet. I mean, you're allowed to be cynical of something because things do inevitably change for the worse. You know, you have like six Terminator films and they can't all be as good as Terminator 2. It's just not going to happen. And there's that element that with pets. But it's not just that. It's also... Something special really did happen in them years where with the limitations that they had, they understood that this isn't going to be the most realistic looking football game or maybe even not the most realistically playing football game, but it's still going to be a faithful recreation and a love letter to that sport. And it's like this golden era of pets. 
and it's like he had a golden era of rock music once upon a time and you never get it back and I think that this might just be the case with the series it's becoming something else and it's evolved and it's not what we remember and there's going to be a new generation of people that will play this and this will be the norm for them this will be normative for a new generation of players players and they'll be like what the hell are you on about who's going to want to play that old stuff you know who's going to want to listen to that old music you know you can always make that analogy you can compare music to anything and i think that pairs is one of those things it's a time capsule can in my opinion if in 15 years time people are looking back at pez 2019 and fifa 19 and going why can't games be <laughs> can you imagine how simplified and streamlined and far away from reality would be then so yeah when you said macabre you were absolutely spot on that's probably the perfect place to to leave it so thank you so much for spending so much time talking to me today. i really appreciate it thanks for having me on Wait a minute, what are you still doing here? This podcast ended three seconds ago. Actually, it's probably a bit more than that. But anyway, seeing as you're still here, just a reminder that if you want to leave a voice message for us that's related to this episode, whether there's something that you really strongly disagreed with and we've ruined your day, or whether there's something that you want to thank us for being able to put into beautiful words, seeing as myself and my guest this week are such excellent wordsmiths, then leave us a voice message. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash evo dash web. That's still too much punctuation. That's anchor. A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash Evo dash web. I'm not spelling that bit out for you. You should know how that's spelt by now. And now, back to bed. Night-night, everybody.